Let's take God's word and turn to the Old Testament book of the Song of Solomon, if you would. I want to share something with you that I hope will be a blessing to you. And uh, one of the tragic effects of sin in the life of humanity is the separation that comes between man and God because of sin. Perhaps that is the greatest tragedy of it. And you could go on from that. Even as a Christian, as a child of God, when we fall into sin again or run into sin again, one of the tragic consequences is that our communion with our loving Savior is broken, shattered. And I want to share something this morning that I hope will bring encouragement and comfort to your soul. After a season of wandering from Jesus, our Savior, we are often left despondent and in great despair. Do you know what I mean? Would you look this way for a moment? If you've ever wandered from Christ in your Christian walk, then you know what it is to be brought so low, to be so defeated by sin that you feel like maybe you're never ever going to find your way back to Christ. How many of you have ever felt like that before? The effects of sin upon the heart of a believer are utterly devastating. And the context of our text this morning is to the Christian, to the child of God, to the believer who has gone astray, who has backslidden, wandered away, and perhaps begins to wonder whether the Lord really does love them. And the reason they question whether or not God really loves them is because they are beginning to see themselves as they really are and they cannot possibly fathom that God could love such a train wreck as himself. And their doubt of God's love is purely based upon the reality of their own sin. And that's where we find the little bride in our in our text today. The Song of Solomon is a love letter between Solomon and the little bride, but it is a beautiful portrait of the love of Jesus for his church. And that is what we find all through this book. It's an amazing book. It reassures the child of God, the Christian, that the Lord Jesus still loves you when you go astray. He still loves you when you've backslidden, when you've been too lazy. To go after him. When you've let the comforts and the cares and the troubles. And perhaps even the little dainty pleasures of the world. Come between you and Christ. He still loves you. And that's what we find today. At the end of chapter 6. I'll read just the last four verses. Verse 10. Who is she that looketh forth as the morning. Fair as the moon. Clear as the sun. Terrible as an army with banners. I went down into the garden of nuts to see the fruits of the valley and to see whether the vine flourished and the pomegranates budded. I remind you that the little bride has been separated from her shepherd. Fellowship and communion has been broken. She's away from her savior. This is the picture of the church or the individual Christian who has wandered away from her Lord and she's searching, trying to find that communion, trying to get back to God trying to feel that nearness again, trying to 
feel the presence of God again, trying to hear his voice again, and to no avail. Verse 13, the last verse of the chapter is where we'll begin today. Return, return, O Shulamite. Return, return, that we may look upon thee. What will you see in the Shulamite, as it were, the company of two armies? Sometimes our laziness after Christ and our pursuit of the pleasures of this world rather than our pursuit of him, sometimes our indifference to his love, all of these things are used to persuade us that we are away from him and he'll never love us again. But I am thoroughly convinced that Christ loves me and wants me to know his love and that it is the goodness of God that leads me to repentance. In this text, the Lord Jesus labors to thoroughly convince us that he has not left us. But can I tell you, there's another, another person at work in all of this, and his name is Satan. Diablos, you might say, the devil. And he's working over time, nonstop, to tell you and convince you that you could not possibly be loved by God anymore. That you have sinned your way out of grace. That God has left you and you've left God and he's left you because of every good and perfect reason and he has every right reason to leave you. And Satan works so hard to convince you that you'll never ever get back to where you once were. Peter explains about this in 2 Peter chapter 1. He explains the consequences of not continuing and, and not being diligent in your faith to grow. And oftentimes when you, when you become lazy after the things of God, Peter tells us in verse chapter 1 and verse number 8, for if these things, he gives a list of, of, uh, of, of spiritual characteristics and traits. He says, if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. But look this way. So many of us today are barren. We are unfruitful. Even in our knowledge of Christ, there's no fruit and there's no growth. There's no evidence. And that is largely to the fact that we have been lazy after the things of God. That we haven't given diligence to add to our faith these list of seven things. And therefore, Peter says, he that lacketh these things... If you don't give diligence to add to your faith, he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. When you fail to run after your Lord and you fail to add to your faith and you fail to be diligent about growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, very, very soon you begin to lose sight. Very soon you'll lose direction. You'll lose purpose and you will think that you're on this earth to make money. You'll think that you're on this earth to prosper yourself and your family and your business. And you'll lose sight of the purpose of life. Not only will you lose sight, you'll, you'll lose depth. You cannot see afar off. You have no vision. You have no eye. You cannot see what God is doing in the world. And you cannot see what Satan is doing in the world. You've lost all sense of spiritual vision at all. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you've lost all vision, all sight of spiritual things. But the, the last, the third thing is the worst. To forget. To forget that you were purged from your sins. 
to come to the point when you've walked away from Christ, you've indulged in the pleasures and the sins of this world, that you have forgotten His love for you. And you've been brought to the point when you've doubt, you've now doubting whether or not you ever were saved. You're doubting whether or not you ever were really born again. Whether or not the root of the matter is there. Is the Holy Spirit even living inside of me? Are my sins even forgiven? Or am I still dead in trespasses and sins? That's the result. That's the result of sin, of living astray, living away from our Lord. And that's precisely why Satan tempts us. This is precisely why Satan tempts us because he knows that if we give in to sin and if we give in to our flesh and stray away from the good shepherd, if we begin to indulge in the things of this world, then we will be left in just a matter of time, we'll be left in great despair and self-loathing. And do you know why he wants that? You think he's one bit interested in whether you're happy or sad? No, he wants to do that because when you are in despair, in the, in the pit, in the slough of despond, you are rendered useless to the work of God. You're barren, unfruitful. And so Satan, if he can get you to stray, if he can come between you and Christ by any methods of this world or the flesh or any of his subtle little ways, if he can come between you and Christ, then he knows that he can absolutely ruin your life, your usefulness to the kingdom. And I'm afraid that perhaps some of us here this morning are living in that pit. Barren. Unfruitful. And so I believe it is with great effort and attention that Jesus Christ himself labors to reveal his love for his wounded bride. I believe that Christ is busy about two things. Chasing after the lost is come to seek and to save that which was lost and to restore and bring back the wandering sheep. And this morning, I'm speaking to the wandering sheep, the one who have left the fold, the one who have turned their back on Christ. This portion is to encourage the downcast saint who feels himself or herself to be a failure, who feels that they can never be reunited with Christ again, who feel that because of their mistakes and their sins that they can never be used of God. This is for you. This sermon is for you. And I am convinced by the authority of God's word, I am thoroughly and utterly convinced that Christ Jesus wants you to know, just like this wayward bride, that you belong to him. In fact, when you read from verse 13 into chapter 7, we will not do it uh, at this time, the conclusion of what the, the shepherd does, the conclusion of his words and his wooing and his work to the little bride is that she ends up saying in verse number 10, I am my beloved's and his desire is toward me. When Christ is finished, when the Lord Jesus persuades this little wandering sheep of his that he does love her, at the end of it all, she holds her hands up and says, I do belong to him and he loves me. And I believe that that's exactly what Christ wants you to know today. If you are a child of the living God, you belong to Jesus. And he belongs to you. There's an old hymn we used to sing back in the States that says, Now I belong to Jesus. 
Jesus belongs to me. Not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. I am my beloved's. The shepherd goes through great trouble to make her see and believe this truth. And here's where it begins in verse number 13 of chapter 6. It begins with a call to return. Return, return, O Shulamite. Return, return, that we may look upon thee. Four times the call rings out. Come home. Return, 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 return. Repent, 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 repent. This is the message throughout the ages. Come home. Turn your back on your sins and come back to the Lord that loves you. Would you like to rest in the assurance of Christ's love and of his presence? Then there must be a return of the shepherd to the shepherd of your soul. There must be a return to the words of life. There must be a return to the prayer closet where you seek the Lord on your knees. And as quickly as you can this morning, return, return, return. Revelation chapter 2, we've mentioned it recently in some other sermons. The church at Ephesus, the Lord Jesus says, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Would you look here for a moment? Some of you this morning have left your first love. You are nowhere near where you, what you used to be. You're nowhere near on fire like you used to be. You're nowhere near in love with Jesus like you used to be. And I know it. You used to preach and tell others of the love of Christ. You used to couldn't wait to get out there and tell as many people as you can about the Savior. Now you're too ashamed. Maybe not ashamed of your Lord, but ashamed of yourself. And instead your head hangs low and your shoulders droop and your hands stay in your pockets rather than holding out a tract to invite someone to the Savior. Your lips are filled with woeful mourning of yourself rather than praise for your loving Savior. You need to come home. You need to come home. Jesus says this after he tells them that they've left their first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent. Come back. Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, gives us some beautiful verses in chapter 44 and verse number 21. Listen to his words. Isaiah 44 and verse number 21. Remember these, O Jacob and Israel. God is speaking, for thou art my servant, I have formed thee. Thou art my servant, O Israel, thou shalt not be forgotten of me. Would you look this way? No matter how much you forget God, he will never forget you. No matter how much you do to push God out of your memory and out of your heart, he will never, never, never forget you. I have blotted out. God is speaking, I have blotted out. Look what he says, like a thick cloud, thy transgressions. And as a cloud, thy sins return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. Come home. Have you forgotten that he shed his blood for you? Have you forgotten that like a big cloud, he's covered all of your sins? So come home. Satan is lying when he says, oh, you look at you, you call yourself a Christian. You good for nothing, dirty little thing. You, you can't go back with all that sin. You've forgotten. Tell him that they've been covered by the blood. Amen. And come home. Come home. Jeremiah the prophet tells us in chapter 3. They say that if a man put away his wife 
and she go from him and become another man's, shall he return unto her again? Shall not that land be greatly polluted? Look here for a moment. Can you imagine men, husbands, if your wife left you for another man? Can you imagine? I wonder how quick you'd be to say, come on back. But you, thou hast played the harlot with many lovers. You, Christian, have committed idolatry and adultery. You've loved other things and other people more than you've loved me. And God says, but yet return again to me. You've turned your back on me time and time again. You've cheated on me. You've been unfaithful with me. But you come home. You come home today. Oh, in our fleshly minds, we couldn't possibly imagine our spouse, our husband, or our wife being unfaithful over and over again. And us saying, come on home. Come on home every time. But yet God Almighty in heaven, every time you sin against Him, every time you look to someone or something else as another God, and you give your affection to that thing, God in pity and mercy says and bids you come home. And this morning He invites you to come home. He says it again in verse number 12. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return, thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord. And I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you, for I am merciful, saith the Lord. And I will not keep anger forever. Just return. Oh, but if I go, he's going to punish me. Just come home. Just come home. He goes on, only acknowledge thine iniquity. God says, I just want you to recognize and admit your sin that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God and hast scattered thy ways to the strangers under every green tree. And ye have not obeyed my voice, saith the Lord. Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord. For I am married unto you, and I will take you, one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion, and I will give you pastors according to mine heart. Which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. Come home. Chapter 4, verse 1. If thou wilt return, O Israel, saith the Lord, return unto me. And if thou wilt put away thine abominations out of my sight, then thou shalt not remove. Just come home. And so Jesus begins to prove his love to you by the invitation and the commandment to come home. Repent. Return, leave your sins and come home. Perhaps that's where some of you need to start today. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on. He tries to persuade her that indeed he wants her back. But then to further explain it and express it, he gives her a new name. Now, I love this. The Lord Jesus and God Almighty... And through his Holy Spirit is constantly giving us new names. Not bad names, mind you. Good names. And he says in this verse, return, return, O Shulamite. That's the first time this little word is even found. What on earth does that mean? Do you know one of our greatest, somebody once said, one of our greatest obstacles to our future is our past. Yeah. You ever heard that before? One of our greatest hindrances and obstacles to our future, what stands between us and a brighter future, a better future, is our past. Another man once said this, there's only three people that will bring up your past. Satan, your old friends, and yourself. 
God Himself, if you've confessed and forsaken your sins, will never bring your sins up in your face. If you have confessed and forsaken your sins, He will never say, do you remember what you did? Now we sometimes do that to our husbands and wives, don't we? You remember that thing you did 10 years ago? I can't even remember what I did 10 minutes ago, let alone 10 years ago. But not our God. We hold grudges against people. We won't talk to people for years. Not our God. Satan loves to remind us of who we were and what we did. But can I remind you this morning? You are a new creation. All things, old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Somebody once says, when Satan reminds you of his, of your past, remind him of his future. Not only have all things become new, but he's given you a new name. And here's one of those names. Oh, Shulamite. It literally means the first mention of the word literally means inhabitant of Salem or inhabitant of Jerusalem. Salem was an old name for Jerusalem. You remember Melchizedek was said to be the prince, the, the ruler from Salem. A picture of Christ. So what is he saying to this wayward child? What is he saying to this backslidden Christian? Here's what he's saying. You are an inhabitant of Zion. You don't belong out there. You belong here. You don't belong in your sin. You belong here. You don't belong in the world. You belong with God and his people. You may not feel like that. You might feel like you you look more like the wicked world than you do Jesus But it doesn't really matter at the moment. At the moment, what he's trying to establish is your citizenship is in heaven. Oh, Shulamite. You know the other interesting thing? Look here. Shulamite is literally the feminine form of Solomon. It's the female form of Solomon. And so King Solomon says, come home, my little Solomon S. And in a sense, that's exactly the way Christ speaks to us. You are a Christian. You belong to Christ. You are mine. I am yours. You are mine. Two have become one. It's no longer Derek Moreland. But for the rest of eternity, it shall be Derek Moreland and Jesus. And if you be born again, it's the same with you. We are one with Christ. We have his name upon us because we be in him and he be in us. We have his name and not just his name. We have his record. Hey, when Satan tries to bring up the account of your old sins, by the way, he'd have to spend an awful long time reading my account because there's too many to number. But if he dares begin to do that, tell him that you don't have that record anymore. You now have the record of Jesus Christ. You have the pure righteousness of God through his son, Jesus. That's been imputed to you. The Bible says he that was rich became poor. For your sakes, that you might be made the righteousness of God, which is in him, Christ Jesus. Don't look, do not live and wallow in self-pity, thinking about all your failures. That's been taken away by the grace of God, by the blood of Jesus. The Bible says the blood of Jesus cleanses us from what? From all our sins. All of them. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from every single sin. Well, what if, what if I sin tomorrow? All means all. Well, what about next week? I don't know. I can remember one, when one of the men who are sitting in this tent right now, 
when the Lord was dealing in his heart about salvation, he came to me. He said, Pastor, I need to speak to her. And I know I need to be saved, but I'm worried. I'm worried that if I give my life to Christ, I'm going to mess it up and I'll go back to the world. I said, look, look, don't worry about what might be. Don't worry about what could happen. Instead, think about what could happen if you do not trust in Jesus as your Savior. All of your sins, past, present, and future, were dealt with on the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, that does not entitle a man to live in sin. In fact, the sooner you grasp this thought, that I'm a resident of heaven, I'm a, I am a follower of Christ, I am one with Christ, the sooner you recognize that thought, you, you begin to walk more circumspectly, more carefully. Because you know, I don't, I don't want to bring shame to the name of Christ. We prayed with the men at the prayer and fasting. And several of the men I heard them praying. Saying Lord if I'm going to bring shame to your, ne- to your name. Just kill me now. Because a believer has inside of them. That instinct that I do not want to bring shame. To the perfect sinless name of Jesus. You've been given a new name. Not just that. You're given another one. Look at, look at verse number 1 of chapter 7. How beautiful are thy feet with shoes. O prince's daughter. Okay. Shulamite, resident of heaven, of Zion, one with Christ, now prince's daughter. Can I just remind you of something, Christian? You are a child of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You belong to a royal lineage because of Christ. The psalmist writes, I love this psalm, Psalm 45 Look at it with me. My heart is indicting a good matter. It's just pouring out of him, bubbling up. My heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. Therefore God hath blessed thee forever. Gird thy sword upon thy thigh, O Most High, with thy glory and thy majesty. And in thy majesty ride prosperously because of truth and meekness and righteousness and thy right hand shall teach thee terrible things thine arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies whereby the people fall under thee thy throne O god is forever and ever the scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness therefore god thy god hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows this is one of those beautiful prophetic psalms speaking of christ and bringing us into it watch All of thy garments, speaking of our Savior, smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia out of the ivory palaces, whereby they have made thee glad. Now watch this. King's daughters were among thy honorable women. Upon thy right hand did stand the queen in gold of Ophir. Hearken, O daughter, and consider and incline thine ear. Forget also thine own people and thy father's house. So shall the king greatly desire thy beauty. For he is thy Lord, and worship thou him. And the daughter of Tyre shall be there with a gift. Even the rich among the people shall entreat thy favor. The king's daughter is all glorious within. Her clothing is of rock gold. Look here, Christian. You are a daughter of the king. And therefore, you are all glorious. You've been given a robe of righteousness. You're a new creation in Christ. The sins and garments, the garments stained by sin have been removed. You've been given a pure white robe of righteousness. Don't forget that. Don't forget it. And live like it. Now I wonder, how did I become 
a daughter of the prince or a son, probably a little bit more appropriate, right? How did I become a child of the king? I'll tell you how, by birth. What do you mean birth? No, no, no. Not because my mother and father, but because I was born again. You become a child of the king when you're born again into the family of God. New life put into your body and your soul. I have been made a child of the king by adoption. The Bible says, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, because we have been accepted into the beloved. We're no longer a child of Satan, no longer a child of the world, but a child of the king because I've been born again and brought into the family of God, adopted. And I've been made a child of the king by marriage. What do you mean? Because I married my wife? Well, she's definitely more spiritual than I am. But that's not why I become a child of the king. Because I am married, spiritually, figuratively speaking, to Christ. He's rescued me. Poured out his love upon me. And one day we shall sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we shall eat with him for all eternity. How beautiful. I want to encourage you today. That if you've been born again, look, his love has never changed towards you. He wants you to come home today. He's given you a new name. I love what he says in chapter 7, verse 1. How beautiful are thy feet with shoes, O prince's daughter. Now, what on earth? Now, he goes and he gives uh, 10 descriptions. That's the oriental method of, of a perfect description. He starts from the feet and goes up. In the previous time, he started from the head and went down. He's just proving his love for this little bride. But he starts with the feet because that's the lowest, the, the most basest part of the, of the body of God, of the body. And, and perhaps this morning, look here, you might be feeling that you, you're nothing and a nobody. In the family of God, you're, you're a toe, you're a little toe. Maybe you feel like you're worthless, good for nothing. And he says, I see you. And you're just as beautiful. How can the head say to the foot that we don't need you? No, no, no. Every part of the body. I love what he says. Uh, this is, I believe, a reference as well to preachers. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings and publisheth peace. Yeah. Do you know why the bride of Christ is beautiful? Because we have the beautiful message that we're to bring to a lost and dying world. I, I were told by Paul that we should have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Everywhere we go, we should tell about Jesus Christ. But you can't do that when you're feeling sorry for yourself because of your sin. And so Christ is trying to restore that so that you can be used of him again. We won't go through all these little things. We'll close with one last thing. He constantly affirms a very special truth. Verse number six. How fair and how pleasant art thou, O love, for delights. Think about that. When Christ looks at you, you are fair, beautiful in his eyes. You say, I, I, how could, I don't even want him to look at me. No, when he sees you, he doesn't see you as you are right now. He sees you as you shall be. Yeah. He sees the finished product. I, I don't know where I am between where it began and what it's going to be when it's done. I have a, I have a tendency to think I'm, I'm back here somewhere. But he doesn't look at where I am necessarily. He sees me as what I shall become. He sees that I, I will be a glorious part of that glorious church without spot and without blemish. That work of sanctification is taking place inside of me. And he sees it. He sees what we shall be.
And his love for me constrains me. And his love for me constrains him. I love this. Verse 5 says, the end of verse verse 5, the king is held in the galleries. The king is held, literally bound, in the gallery. Imagine that being a gallery up there. It's like he's arrested in the galleries, looking down at his bride. That's exactly the way Christ looks at you. He's arrested by you. He loves you. His eyes are never off of you. Can you remember men when you first fell in love with your wife? Ladies, can you remember when you first fell in love with your husband? You were arrested. You couldn't stop looking at him. My wife probably thought I was a creep. The first few days, I just couldn't help it. I just thought she was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in the world. That's the way Christ looks at his bride. He cannot help it. Arrested. Let that assure you, no matter how far you drift, his eyes are still on you. His love is still upon you. And that ought to motivate you to get out of the miry clay. Get out of the pit and back on the rock. So that you might live and be what he saved you to be. And after all of this, she says, I really am my beloved. By the end of all of this, she sits down. After hearing what he says and seeing what he says, she says, I am my beloved. And his desire is towards me. Meaning of all other people, he loves me. That's exactly the way Christ wants you to live. Jesus wants you to live day by day, knowing that you belong to him and knowing that he loves you. That's the blessed assurance that we sometimes sing about. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit and washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Some of you are living in sin right now. And you will never know the assurance of the love of Christ and the presence of Christ until you repent and come home. Until you get back to him and back to his word. And then when you begin to search the scriptures, you begin to see he gives you love letters through his word and messages that assures you of his grace and his peace and his mercy. So come home. Some of you need to come home today. Some of you just need to be reminded that you belong to him and that he loves you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help thy people, I pray. Put that healing balm upon our soul. We rarely need someone to tell us how rotten we are. Sometimes we're so ashamed and so disgusted of our sin that we don't even like to look in the mirror. And I pray this morning that thy spirit may take us by the hand and help us to turn around and come home. I pray that our ears may be open so that we might hear the voice of our dearly beloved saying unto us, we are an inhabitant of Zion, a child of the king, that we have his name and his record, that we are a new creation in Christ, a new creature in him. Oh, Father, help us so that we might begin to be useful to thy kingdom. We might begin to take hold of the hand of thy son and go out into the harvest field. But truly the harvest is plenteous, but laborers are few. 
I pray that Satan will no longer have a hold over top of us. That we might be reminded that he may bite the heel of our Lord, but our Savior has crushed his head. Help us to be reminded that all enemies shall be put beneath his feet. May we be encouraged today to know what we are and who we are in Christ our Savior. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.